<clears throat> Thanks to Laura and to all of those who have been helping us in worshiping the Lord today and singing praise. Uh, Dean is taking a little bit of time out from his role here to support his father who's ill at this time. And so our prayers are very much with Dean and his family in these days as well. The more you read the Bible, and hopefully you take some time to do that over the course of the Lord's day and during the week as well, the more time you spend in God's Word, the more you come to realize that it turns everything on its head. What we get to see is that the standards of the kingdom of God, the values of the kingdom of God, are so different from the standards and the values of this world. So that if we were to go out into Balamina tomorrow morning and conduct a survey among those who are in the town doing their shopping, and if we presented them with a scenario or two different people, and we said, we want to tell you about two men. The first man, he lives a really privileged life in a royal palace. He answers to no one but himself. He has unlimited wealth and possessions. He's in a position of great prominence. And on the other hand, well, the other man, he is languishing in a prison cell. He's been there at least two years, and he finds him, himself there through no fault of his own. He is a victim of a terrible injustice. And to make matters worse, he has been forgotten by someone whom he sought to help, and that person has failed to keep their promise. Well, if you asked people, which of those two men do you reckon will be more content? Who do you think of those two is in the better place in life? Who of those two would be more certain about where his life is going? Well, of course, most of the people that we survey, in fact, most of us here today would opt for the first man because we see wealth and power and privilege as being indicators that all is well with him. And yet, I want you to take a look again with me at Genesis chapter 41. If you've got your Bible in front of you, turn with me again, please, to this incredible passage of Scripture. And as I was describing those two men there in that scenario, well, you knew that the second man was Joseph, because you know his story well by now. Joseph and his amazing dysfunctional family. He was despised by his brothers to the point that they were willing to sell him into slavery. And then he, he got into trouble in the household of Potiphar, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He had ended up in prison where he was left to rot, forgotten by a fellow prisoner he had shown great kindness to so that by his late 20s, and that was the age that Joseph was by this stage when he was in prison, Joseph had his fair share of heartache and drama in his life. And so, hearing that summary again, we know that there is no surprise that there would be this huge contrast between him and the Pharaoh that we read about in this chapter, the, the great king of Egypt. But here comes the, the big shock, the big surprise today. The one in this story, in this chapter, who is content, the one who is at peace, 
is not the one who is powerful and rich and free. And the one who is deeply troubled in his mind and in his soul is not the one who is lying in a dark prison cell. So, let's take a look at the surprising contrast that we find here in Genesis 41 as we see the difference between the mind of the Pharaoh and the mind of Joseph. First of all, let's consider the Pharaoh who was the most powerful man in the world at this time. He had incredible privilege, but with that came huge responsibility. But most of us would envy his life. We tend to imagine that all will be well within a royal palace, that everything that happens there is good. And yet, what do we find in verse 8? Well, we're told of the Pharaoh in verse 8 that his mind was troubled. Why was his mind troubled? Well, on the face of it, because of the, the weird dreams that he had. If you look at those dreams again, first of all, in verse 5, or sorry, in verse 4, the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then in verse 7, the thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy full ears. And we know that dreams are strange. Honestly, I have some dreams, and they're right off the scale of weird. And I think to myself, sometimes I tell Belle Ann about my dreams, and she thinks that I'm weird as well. We have those dreams sometimes. And most times when we have a, a bad dream, when we wake up, we've got that surge of, of relief. Do you ever feel that? You wake up and you think, oh, th that's not real. That's only a dream. And you, you put your head back down, you close your eyes, and you go back to sleep. But occasionally, we have a dream that is so troubling, that's so horrible, that it kind of stays with us the next day. At various points, we remember that dream, and we think, what was that all about? But you need to understand that Pharaoh's dreams had a much greater impact, so much so that if you look at the rest of verse 8, we're told that he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. He wanted answers, and he wanted answers straight away. And that's because in his culture and time, dreams had a much greater significance. People attached a great importance to the dreams that they had. This dream must be a message. It must mean something. But there's more to this. I reckon that the reaction, the strength of the reaction that Pharaoh has to his dreams indicates an underlying insecurity. When you think about it, Pharaoh was a self-made man, and he was regarded as a self-sufficient man. That's how he thought of himself, and that's how he would have been looked upon by the people of his kingdom. And that meant that he had no understanding of and no thought for the God who Joseph worshipped and lived by. So that if anything went wrong in Pharaoh's life, or in the life of his kingdom, then who else could Pharaoh turn to? And actually, the thing that troubled Pharaoh most of all 
was that despite appearances, despite all of the status and all of the pomp of the palace, he was actually helpless. And it's a great reminder to us that contentment and peace and happiness, it's not guaranteed by wealth. It's not guaranteed by our status or by the amount of land that we own or by celebrity or all of these other things that we attach such great importance to. And tortured minds are to be found in royal palaces just like anywhere else. Now, today, none of us are royalty, or at least I don't think that we have royalty among us in Connor this afternoon, but we do know that many of us have troubled minds. And so, there's an important lesson for us to, to hear and learn from Pharaoh and others like him in Scripture, because we meet many like him all the way through the story of the Bible. Self-sufficient people who have no time for God, and their life can quickly crumble. Everything can so rapidly deteriorate and crumble around them. Pharaoh was so easily troubled because he faced up to the ultimate realities of life entirely alone. And he knew that whatever this dream meant, that it was his problem. So today, are you a self-sufficient person carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders? Would others look at you as being self-sufficient? Is that something that you wear as a badge of honor? I can do it my way. In life, I make sure that I sort everything out. I don't need anybody else. Because the problem, the danger with self-sufficiency is that it can result in making no time for God. And I wonder, is that the case for anyone here today? In this story, the man with the wealth, with all the power and the privilege, he is the troubled one. And then compare this to Joseph. And one thing to remember as we encounter Joseph briefly in this story is where he is being brought from to see the great Pharaoh. He's coming from his prison cell. And once again, in this chapter, we're given an indication of the awful conditions. Once again, in verse 14, it's referred to as a dungeon. And from that dungeon, Joseph is rushed into the splendor of the royal palace. We can presume that he was in a bad state as he was brought into the palace because he had to be spruced up before being brought into the presence of the king. Look at verse 14. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh so that there could not be a greater contrast between where Joseph is coming from and the place that he's being brought to. And if you add to that that Joseph would have probably had no idea why he was being brought before the king. And then all of a sudden, this great problem is plunged upon him. You need to sort this out. You need to tell me exactly what is going on. Well, at this moment, Joseph would have had every right to have a troubled mind. And yet, look at this meeting between him and Pharaoh, and you get to see that Joseph 
was not troubled at all, because he speaks to Pharaoh with confidence and with wisdom and with great certainty. And why can he do this? How can he do this? Given where he's coming from, his unpleasant environment that we were thinking about last week, given who he is meeting with, it would have been an intimidating moment brought before the most powerful man in the world. Well, I'll tell you the key difference. It was Joseph's awareness of and his trust in the living God. Later on, you can read this again carefully, and you can take time to look at this chapter. But if we just scan down through these verses now, notice that at the center of Joseph's conversation is the subject of God. God is at the center of his conversation because God is right at the center of Joseph's life. So, if you look down through the chapter very quickly, verse 16, his bold declaration, he says to Pharaoh, look, I can't do this for you, but God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Then in verses 25 and 29, he says, God has revealed, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then finally, down in verse 32, he explains the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. So, time after time, Joseph acknowledged God. And I want you to see that Joseph is completely comfortable talking about the Lord. And yet, here he is standing in a pagan palace, standing before a man who many people considered was a god, and who was happy to have others approach him and worship him as a god. And yet, Joseph does not hide away his knowledge of the Lord. Do you ever notice in our lives how, how sometimes the way in which we talk about the Lord can depend on the company we find ourselves in? And so, is God part of your daily conversation? And I'm talking to believers here, to those who would regard themselves as being God's people in Christ. I'm even talking about how believers talk with other believers, because I know what it can be like for me. We talk a lot about the church. We even talk about religious things. But do we talk to one another often enough about the Lord? In this story, Joseph had every right and every reason to be the troubled man, but he's not, because he understands that God is in full control of everything, including his life, and that as one of God's children, he has great security in him. So, as we think about this verse once again, this parallel verse, this theme verse that we have been coming back to all the way through this series, words that were written hundreds of years after Joseph was around, we get to see that not only 
is Joseph an illustration of this verse? But he's someone who firmly believed the sentiments of this verse. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Joseph understood this, and so he was as sure of God's presence and help in the prison cell as he was later in the palace. And as we finish off, I want you to see what's going on here. Her God is working out His salvation plan through Joseph and his life. Look at the incredible response of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh thinks he's calling the shots. He reckons he's the one in control. But we know better. We know of the sovereign God who is above all and in control of all. Verse 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And can you see the Lord at work bringing about His salvation plan working out His promises. That promise that was made away back to Abraham. Abraham, you'll be the father of a great nation, and you should see the land that your nation will receive. And there must have been points in the story afterwards where people thought, well, that's never going to happen. And yet, a massive leap forward in that salvation plan, as Joseph, one of God's people, is in the place of greatest influence for the sake of God's people. But as we finish off, what's that got to do with you and me? What's that got to do with this week in work, in school, in college, at home, on the farm, wherever God has placed you? Well, today to learn of a God who keeps His promises in this way, who can deliver in this awesome way because He is truly sovereign. He is in control. It means that we cannot ignore Him in our life. We don't. And I really long, as a pastor, as a preacher, I long for people here to know the contentment, to know the certainty that Joseph had because of God at work in his life. And that can happen for you. It can be found in Christ. And it's Jesus who brings us all together. It's the Lord Jesus who enables us to, to make sense of this, to understand this, to see how this works in our lives as well. Turn to him while he is near. Because in him, we see the ultimate demonstration of this, of God working out His plans, working out His purposes for the good of His people in Christ. So that we say today, hallelujah, what a Savior, and what a great God we serve. May it be so in these days that lie ahead. Amen.